are live. We welcome those of you that have joined us around the world and those of you who will get this podcast sometime this week. We thank all of you for participating and watching. I know we got a lot of folks down in the mountains watching and people from all around the state. So we welcome you to be with us this morning. May you get ready to praise and worship the Lord and lift Him up. Let me give you some good news about what happens when we praise the Lord. It says, praise the Lord and praise those servants of the Lord and praise the name of the Lord. See if your neighbor's awake. They can't praise if they're not awake. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Amen. The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? No one, right? No one is like God. Who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. That's how awesome our God is. He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of an ash heap. That he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. Amen. The Lord is good. Amen. We worship you this morning, Lord. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your long-suffering is mind-blowing, Lord. Just how long-suffering you are. We praise you for that. We thank you. We thank you for this new year, Lord. May we give you our best in 2023, God. May we give you our best. May we bring our best to you every day. May we give it to you. And everybody said, Amen. I want to welcome all our visitors this morning. If you see somebody you don't know, reach a hand out to them. Children's church is dismissed. And we have a nursery next door if you need the nursery. The rest of you may be seated. I don't like to give the devil much air time. Uh, When he comes up in Scripture, we talk about him, and uh, it's relevant. But this morning, I'm going to spend a little time talking about the devil. And uh, it's not somebody in your family. But uh, I'm going to shoot a few Scriptures here on the screen uh, uh, there was a uh, Reader's Digest years ago. Do they still make read? Do they still print Reader's Digest? Tell them my age, aren't I? Uh, there's a husband and wife driving down a country road, and there was a donkey in the field. And the husband said, "Some of your family," and she said, "Yes, by marriage." So the devil is not none of your family, all right? although you may have thought that a time or two. Uh, we're going to look at a few scriptures. I forgot that one of our screens are gone, so uh, we're going to shoot it on this screen. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 19. These are a few passages that the Bible speaks about Satan, or Hasatan, as he's called in the Hebrew. We call him the devil, Lucifer, uh, Beelzebub, Lord of the stench, Lord of the flies. 
He's all that and more and worse. But in 1 John chapter 5, it says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So the whole world system, the cosmos is what the Greek would call it, its system is under the sway. I like the way the New King James says that it's under the sway of the wicked one. So everything in the world's perspective is going toward the enemy's plan, all right, uh, from his perspective. Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. It says, whose minds, and he's talking about people in, 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 in the world, whose minds the God of this age has blinded and do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age has blinded folks, right? So that's what we got to remember. When you see people doing stupid stuff, anybody ever see that? And some of them probably are in your family and my family. That's true. Uh, uh, when you watch the news or listen to the news or read a news article and you think, how crazy can people get? I'm with you. I feel the same way. But uh, the God of this world's blinded them. You know, and that's, they're blind to reality. And he's a deceiver. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let's go to Revelation 12 and 9, one verse here. It says, So that great dragon, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He, has cast, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So we, everything we've read so far about the devil is that he's trying to move people the opposite direction of God. He is a deceiver. That's his number one tactic. The devil is not going to be able to send out invitations for people to come join him in the lake of fire. That's not going to work. Most people, if they knew that... See, and a lot of people that I've run into over the years, being a pastor as long as I have, people have said, you know, something keeps telling me I'm not a Christian or I'm not saved. Well, that's probably not the devil. I mean, that's probably the devil. I said that wrong. That's probably the devil because... He's the one that likes to aggravate you all the time, all right? So he's, he's trying to discourage you, beat you down. He's a deceiver, all right? And he comes against the things of God. That's his job, I guess, as he sees it. He's a deceiver. Now, let's, the devil's system, let me read a couple of things to you. The devil's system is designed to deceive. Uh, the things in this world are designed to get us to look Believe, lean on, trust in, rather than doing all these things with God. In other words, the devil set up a system to get us to put our confidence in something other than God. But the Bible tells us that all these things are going to pass away someday, and the only thing that will be left standing is the Word of God. So I'm, uh, I've got a, I've crilled my ankle a little bit this week, so bear with me. The Greek word for uh, deception is plano, planeo. And that's the word that we translate I before E, right? Except after C. That's the word we translate deceive. This word is an interesting word. It comes at us from two angles. There are other words that are used in the Greek and the Hebrew that share with us the, 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 the severity of the deception. But this is the primary word in the Greek language. It means to lead astray, <clears throat> to be led into error, uh, to want, and, and that's 
how the Satan works on us to lead us astray from God's Word, from His plan, to lead us into error. Everybody in this building uh, has, has been deceived at one time or another. Every one of us. And, the, and there's a likelihood we may get deceived again. The devil is good at what he does. I hate to give him credit, but he's good at what he does. And, and then the next one is, it falls on us, part of this definition. It means to wander from the path, all right? I like that definition because you all know I've used this uh, for a lot of years now when we talk about uh, the path that God's called us to be in. We call that around here the pisteo path. And stick man, once he's born again, saved, uh, what it redeemed, you come out of sin into the path of God. And our goal is to walk toward God. What Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto us. So stick man is born again, saved, delivered, set free, redeemed. So now he's in the path of God. This design, Satan's design, is to help, is to, is to get stick man's eyes off on the wrong things so that he will leave the path or get outside of the path and open himself up to trouble, despair, destruction, whatever. So God's design is that we walk toward him. Satan's design is to get us distracted by other things so that we will leave the path and pursue those. That's how he tricks us. That's how he deceives us. So God's called us, and we, we've over the years called this the pisteo path. That's the Greek word that it means faith or believing. It undergirds all that. It's a verb, so true faith has what? It has action, right? Did you all listen in English class? Verbs show action, right? So he, he I, I started listening after a while. So he's called to walk this path, pursue God. Satan's design is to get him distracted, to get him to look to other things. And it's not always wrong things that he's trying to get us to look at. Sometimes, remember the verse I just quoted you out of Matthew 6, 33. Seek the kingdom first, all these other things will be added unto you. Sometimes Satan wants us to get our eyes off on something that the timing's not right. It's not God's timing. It's not. So God is taking us in this path. He's maturing us. And these things, whatever those things are that God has designed for you and I in our lives, God has uh, set them up in such a season to bring them into our lives at the right time so that we'll intersect them when we're matured enough, right? Sometimes, you know, God's working on two people to bring them together to be husband and wife. And so He's doing that over the course of time. If they short-circuit that, then they'll have trouble. See, God's doing things in both parties, right, to get them there. Same thing with us. When you have a three-year-old son, you don't hand him a 12-gauge shotgun. You wait till he matures and grows and teach him a little bit about a gun and about squirrels and, and grouse and quail. And I'm about to lose my train of thought because I'm thinking about bird hunting now. <laughs> or whatever it is that you hunt. You want to train him and all that, right? You want to, before you hand him a shotgun or whatever or her. So uh, this God is the same way. He's maturing us. He's training us. And the enemy wants to get us distracted. That's what deception's all about. The devil cannot send out invitations and invite people to the party he thinks he might have in the lake of fire. Nobody's going to really buy into that, right? If, if people were not blinded, if they were sober, right? If they had their eyes open and saw the truth versus what Satan's off, there'd be no decision to be made. That's why the devil is a deceiver, 
right? Because he's throwing us opportunities up that give us some kind of false relief or false belief that we can take care of ourselves, that we can find our way to God on our own, or we can put it off. That's a big one, right? You can just put it off till later. I've shared this. It's probably been a while, but the devil, uh, this little thought that we can take with us, the devil was sitting with all of his demons, and they were trying to decide how to deceive people. And so one of them said, let's uh, tell them there's no devil. And the devil said, "Ah, I don't like that. No devil, no God. That don't really work for us. And the other one said, well, let's just tell them God's word's not true. And the devil said, well, um, we can't do that either because they can watch the news and see God's word coming to pass. And finally, one little demon said, let's tell them they can wait. And the devil said, that's what we'll do. We'll tell them they can put it off. Tell them they can wait till tomorrow, right? So he's a deceiver. He's constantly deceiving. He wants to lead us astray. He wants to lead us into error. Anything that veers from this. Get out of this kind of talking when you say, I feel. Get out of that stuff. Base your, base your stuff on God's Word, all right, or I think, because you can be led astray. We can all be led astray. In fact, Jesus said if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived because of all the stuff that's coming into the world and how, how evil it's getting. The other thing is that we can wonder. This Word gives itself to wandering on our own from the path uh, to go astray because we're pursuing our own desires instead of pursuing the will of God. And then the last part of this definition for Plano is to be seduced. The world is constantly trying to seduce us. And now the world has so many avenues to seduce us. There's nothing new under the sun. People were falling prey to all this stuff back in the day. There's just more avenues to get it out there now with all the technology stuff. So we're constantly trying to be seduced. Now, I'm not using that in a sexual way right now. We're constantly trying to be seduced away from the things of God. In other words, seduction takes place when you get an alternative to the truth. And that's how Satan works. He, he tries to seduce us away from the truth saying, well, this will work just as well for you, right? How did this whole thing got started like that, right? That's what happened in the garden. Satan come in and seduced Eve. And he come in and he said, uh, first thing he did, he challenged what God had told them, right? He said, hath God said, right? Then, then, then he's got her on her heels, right? And she's saying, and then he starts talking about the fruit of the tree and all that stuff. And then she starts looking, right? And starts listening. And that's not a very good thing to do. Don't spend time John with Satan. Tell your neighbors, say, don't spend time John with Satan. He, he ain't got nothing. Whatever he's telling you, Whatever he's telling you and I, before it's over, it's going to be a lie. He's the father of all lies. Let that sink down into years for a minute. That means when we receive his lies, he's fathering that in us. Just let that sink down into years for a minute. That's a horrible thought. She, the devil comes in and then he challenges God's word, puts her on her heels. She's, she's there and then he says, he starts pitting Eve against God. And this is used a lot by Satan. It's what most of your talk shows are about on television now. How bad I've had it. How bad, how bad I'm getting done. How life's not been fair to me. Has anybody ever lived long enough? Life's not fair to anybody. And so all of a sudden, he says, Hath God said, then he says, basically, the reason God don't want you to eat from that fruit is he's holding out on you. He don't, basically, he's saying, he don't want you to be all you can be, Eve. God's standing in your way. 
And, and he says, because if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him, which was all a lie, right? This was all a lie. But she bought it, right? She bought the fruit. She took the fruit. She ate of it because she, Satan come in and seduced her and deceived her into thinking that she could be as capable of God as God. If you and I could be as capable as God, we could keep the law. Do you realize if you could have kept the law, you wouldn't have needed a Savior? If you could have kept the law, you wouldn't have needed Jesus to come. But nobody could keep the law. Nobody, only Jesus was the only one who could keep the law. So there's some deception in this self-made. And we got to guard against that in America because we're taught that way. And I, and I know we got a lot of lazy people in this country now. It won't work. I understand that. But, and we should get up and go and, and do our jobs and do what we're supposed to do and what's required of us. But when you come into the kingdom, that attitude sometimes can get in the way. Get out of my way, God. I'll take care of myself. That's not how this works, right? We are His children. We are His sons and daughters. So Eve bought it. She took it, and she found out it was all a lie. Then she took it over to Adam. He fell right in for whatever reason and fell into it, and they both were in trouble. That started this whole mess, this whole mess that we are in. And don't get upset by being offspring of Adam because thinking, uh, well, why should I be responsible for somebody else's? Why should I be born in sin? Let me tell you something. I don't care if uh, John and Matilda had been the first parents or whatever you want to name them. You and I were in trouble from the get-go because none of us are able to keep the law. We were going to need that last Adam no matter what. So if you don't like being in the first Adam, you ought to be thankful that God had a plan the way He did because this last Adam has cured all of our ills. Can somebody give Him praise for that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. You are never going to make it on your own whether Adam and Eve blew it or not. And I don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve because I've seen enough out of myself to know that I'd have blown it in the garden too. Can you say amen? So we got a good plan here, God, or God has a good plan. But this whole mess got started because Satan come in the garden and deceived Eve, and then, she, and then Adam fell in with the whole line, and both of them were in trouble, and that put us in the course that we're in in this world. So you can go astray on your own. You can be led away by your desires, or you can be seduced by Satan or the system of this world into where you get in a spot to where you are trusting other things Instead of God. That's never God's plan. It is never God's plan for you and I to trust in something other than Him. That was never God's plan. He don't even want you to trust in the church. He wants you to trust in Him. He wants all of us to have a personal relationship with Him. And you're not going anywhere. You, the, Jesus said if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, there's no profit in that. I don't care how many toys you accumulate, I don't care how much wealth you accumulate, when you stand before God someday, the only thing that's going to matter is what you've done with Jesus Christ. The ground is level at the cross and in the graveyard as well. It's level. Now, let's look at this last one hitter, and then we're going to go to a passage and we're going to work some there. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's God's plan. The word rewarder means giver of wages. That's an accounting term that's used there. It doesn't mean God's going to always give you money. He does take care of our needs. But, and sometimes that's financial and whatever, or a blessing, material blessing. But that's, that's a word that's used there to stress that God 
rewards or gives back to those who trust Him, who believes he's, who He says He is, and who seeks Him. God rewards that. That's what, he, that's what I believe, that's what the Holy Spirit's saying here in Hebrews chapter 11. That God rewards those who come, who, who, for He who comes to God that believes He is and that He is a rewarder. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's who God is? Now, I'm going to say something that's hard for some people to sink their teeth into. But I've said it long enough to where I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to keep saying it. God does not move because of need. God moves because of faith. If God moved because of need, there'd be nobody in the hospital here in town today. Or the next town over. Or the next town over. They all have needs. Every one of them have needs. If all it took for God to move was for somebody to have need, nobody would be starving in the world today. God moves because of faith. And that's what he's saying us here, to us here. This is how God moves. That's why the devil spends so much time trying to seduce us into trusting in something other than God. And you watch it with people. You watch it in our world. People trust in money. People trust in their position. People trust in their last name. Whatever it is, their education. All those things are fine and well in their place. But we were never supposed to trust in any of that stuff. Solomon said that, um, that money or riches can make wings and fly off. And we've seen that just in the last few weeks, right, with the stock market. All this stuff, you see, they, it can be gone in an instant, in a moment. God never intended for us to trust in those things. Let me tell you this. This is how God works. We said, oh, he sent a raven. He must be going to find, feed us with ravens the rest of our That's not how God works. God used a raven for a little while there to help Elijah out, but then he sent him to a widow woman. And God has a sense of humor, don't he? It's like he sends us places that don't look legit at all, right? I mean, you're in a famine, and you're going to go talk to the widow woman to get fed? How about the people that own the grocery store? That'd be a better place to go. In the natural, right, that'd be a better place to go. But God had something going on on both ends, right? Remember, he's already been around the corner before we get there. And so here's our problem. God saved me with money the last time, so he's probably going to do it. Not, not necessarily. God does all kinds of things differently, right? God is a powerful God, and he can do things. I've been bailed out with money before. Has anybody ever been bailed out with money? Maybe you got a better job. Maybe somebody blessed you or whatever. I've been bailed out with money. Sometimes I've been bailed out with people just stepping up. Sometimes I've been bailed out supernaturally. When we had our daughter, and she had a diaphragmatic hernia and stayed in the hospital for nine days, 50% chance of living. We didn't have any insurance, my wife and I. None. We ran about $70,000 worth of doctor bills up in Knoxville, Tennessee. And the Lord done that supernaturally. I can't even tell you to this day how He did it. But I remember calling all of the people that we owed money. When you go through a situation like that, you've got doctors from everywhere. They come from everywhere. Because one's doing this, one's doing that, one's doing this, one's doing that. And the time you wind up, you've got bills coming from everywhere. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I call them all because we, we, we are people of our word and we were going to pay our bills. And I started calling them and some of them would say, you don't have a bill here. And I'd say, yeah, I've got it right here in front of me. And they would say, no, you don't have a bill here. I don't know how God did that. I don't know if, if somebody in that hospital stepped. I don't really know and I don't really care because my God's big enough God to do all that. He didn't hand us any money. He didn't hand us a check. But somehow we found favor in the right places at the right time. Does anybody feel that besides me? Now, I'm giving you my testimony, but all of us have testimonies like that. 
How, I, I tell you, I feel how big God is this morning. And I was going to title this message, Is Your God Too Small? Because when the devil gets bigger in your life or my life, God starts shrinking. And we need to make sure we're living in the last days. We understand that. We're not afraid to live in the last days. God put us here. You could have been born anywhere in time. God put you here. We ought to, be, we ought to, take, we ought to take courage in that. That God set us here for such a time as this. Is your God too small? That's what I want to think about as we go to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 6. And this is where we're going to spend our time. I'm going to preach to you a little. I want to set the table, help you understand who Satan is just a little bit, and help you know what God's looking for. But in John chapter 6, let's start with verse 1. It says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now the reason he asked Philip is because they were, where, they were in the location where Philip was from. So he's putting Philip on the spot here, but look what the Bible says. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Do you think God's ever testing you? Sure he is. You think God's putting you out there to, sit, to get a response out of you so you can see what you're capable of? He already knows. Philip, see, he already knew what he was going to do, but he's putting Philip out here to see. When God asks you a question or puts you in a situation to give a response, he don't need the answer. He already knows the answer. We need to see what we're capable of. God lets us go in situations. So Philip, he says, uh, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. And then another passage where we're talking about this same, the Bible said there were 5,000 men, not beside women and children. So there was probably between twenty and 30,000 people there listening to Jesus this day. And so he says, Philip answered, said, this is not going to be enough. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, or you can call them hush puppies, whatever. But what are they among so many? Right? There's the go. There's the natural man. And there's the guy we got to guard. Our natural man will talk us out of the things of God. Paul said in Corinthians, he said, the natural man don't receive the things of God. It's the spiritual man, that guy inside of us that's been born again, that gal who's been born again, that has got faith, the Holy Spirit resides. That's the one that wants the things of God. This natural man will take his eyeballs and his ears and his intellect and make him his own world. And that's not what God's after at all. We've said this a lot with, uh, with uh, Gideon, right? Gideon was in bad shape before God whittled him down. Then he really got bad. He said, one of his disciples said, we got two loaves, uh, two small fishes and five, lo five barley loaves. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to, the, to those sitting down. And likewise, the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, they filled twelve baskets uh, with the fragments of the barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign of Jesus did, they said, This is truly a prophet who has come from the world. Now we got some details in other Gospels about this young lad with, the, with all this stuff. 
let me tell you something. He came and heard Jesus speak. Now, you should have devotions. You should. You should have time with God. But there's a difference in being under the Word of God when somebody who's been sent speaks it. There is. That's what the Bible teaches. You need to be under God's Word. You need to be hearing a seasoned Word. You need to read your Bible. You need to listen to your Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. That's what happens when you come in here. You hear the Word and that's how faith comes. And it grows and it's got to be growing. This young lad comes here. We don't know if he has any intention of giving his lunch away at first. But somehow he sits here, he hears all this that's going on, Jesus is talking, and somehow they've either talked him out of his lunch, he's come up willingly, offered it, but either way, listen now, he let it go. You want to know why some multiplying ain't going on in your life? Because you won't let go of that thing. If you want God to multiply things in your life, you've got to let it go. We are good at hoarding in this country. We're good hoarders. But if you want God to bless you, here's the, here's the concept I want you to understand as we uh, walk through this just a little bit before I finish this message. You are, and I are all in this same spot. If we are stick people, and I had stick man in the past, so I'm going to make stick woman here. Okay, so stick woman is, belongs to God, and God sends blessing into her life, whatever. Spiritual blessing, material blessing, whatever. He sends blessing into her life. He wants stick woman to benefit from that, to be blessed by that, to be improved by that, to be furthered by that. But then he wants these things to come out from stick woman to bless others, right? Other little stick people, right? <laughs> They're, yeah, some of them really are little right here now. One of them looks like them guys in those old cartoons we used to get. So she, she's a blessing. She gets rewarded. She receives. And then she becomes a blessing to others, right? That's how God designed it. God did not design it for us to build a dam here and hoard up everything He gives us. I don't care if it's money, love, forgiveness, whatever. What happens when we build a dam and start hoarding things up? What happens is the water starts piling up around the dam, right? And then pretty soon, stick woman, I don't care how much hairspray she's gotten her due, she's sinking. She's going to be drowned right there. Drowned in her own stuff. God never intended for us to damn things up, right? You all didn't know I was a good artist, did you? God never intended for, well, artists. I shouldn't have put good in front of that. God <coughs> wants to bless stick person and He wants to flow to them and through them. I'll give an example. Let's say we divide this church in half, and I'm an owner of a business, and I have a product. And I, and I bring that product to both sides of the church, both warehouses, and I bring it to this side and that side, and then I come back 90 days later, and this side has moved all the product out almost, and this side has stored it up somewhere and hoarding it. Who's going to get more product? Now, here's the problem with hoarding. It gets stale, right? Things get stale. And so if we, if we, we don't get the fresh things of God, you want a fresh move of God? Quit hoarding and quit focusing on your four and get outside of your walls. You want a fresh move of God? 
You want God to show up in your life and start multiplying? Well, then don't just focus on your family. Get outside there. I had somebody come to me years ago when the church was growing. They said, Preacher, I think the church is getting too big. I said, When do we stop? When do we stop bringing people to the body of Christ? When your family gets saved and to hell with mine? I meant that literally. Not figuratively, not slang. Your family's in, we're all good now, shut the doors, and the rest of my family can go to hell. Is that when we stop? Or vice versa, all my family's in now, and your family's not, so they can go on to hell, and my family's good. That's not how we run the church. And you've got to get outside of your walls. You can't just, the devil loves to keep us focused. I tell you, when I started seeing a lot of my family start coming to Christ was when I started reaching out to other people that wouldn't in my circle. You've got to get out of that. That's hoarding. That's hoarding when you're only available for those that are closest to you. Get outside of your circle. Let the world know that Jesus Christ is alive and He wants to save everybody, no matter whether they're red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in His sight. So when we start hoarding things, I don't care what it is, spiritual things, love, mercy, grace, money, when you start hoarding, you're going to get in trouble. And you're going to drown in your own process If we do that. So God wants us to stay fresh. He wants us to be multiplied. He wants us to have a fresh move of Him. And the way we have that freshness is to not be hoarders. Now this boy could have said, My mama said for me not to give my lunch away. Maybe. He was was a young young child. We know about the word that was used there. He could have said, Hey, this ain't going to help nothing. Like the disciples were thinking, right? They were thinking in the natural. They were looking in the natural. They said, not, we got enough money, and this one fish dinner from Long John's is not going to do nothing. But whatever, they, they, whatever happened to this young lad to convince him to turn it loose, look what Jesus did. He fed nearly 20,000 plus people, and then there were 12 baskets left over. And we could assume, which is not a good thing to do, we could say, well, maybe the disciples got a basket to take home. Maybe the boy got 12 baskets to take home. He's the one that gave everything up. I think that's probably the likelihood. His mom said, what in the world happened today? I sent you with two fish and five loaves. You've come back here with a whole restaurant. We don't know exactly where all that food got distributed, but we know we got a big God, don't we? You see the beauty. Abraham took his son up on the mountain. God multiplied him. The Bible says now Abraham's seeds... Uh, seed is like the sands of the seashore, the stars in the sky, because he was willing. See, that's what God's after, that willingness to let go. Watchman E says it this way, whatever you have, hold on to it loosely. God may ask it of you. He may ask it from you. And he has every right to ask it from you. You can't say I was saving that for my retirement if God asked it from you. I didn't get any amens on it. I got a that's right over here and that was it. I'm going to try that again. You can't do that to God. God owns it all. You and I wouldn't have a, a single thing if it wasn't for God. And so, amen to that. And God has a right. But here's what we've learned. Don't get stingy now as you get older. Here's what we've learned. We have never in our lifetime been able to outgive the Lord. Can anybody say that? We haven't. God, if God asks you of your fish loaves, you may take 12 baskets home when he's done. We can't. See, that's what happens. Fear. Watch what happens. Even people, as they get older, there's new challenges, right? There are, there are challenges for the 
people that are my age and older, as they get older, here comes the devil with some fresh doubts, right? Am I talking to us? He comes at that with all of us. Every season brings that. So he comes in, he takes this. So if you're going to get God to multiply your stuff, you're going to have to let go of what you have. You're going to have to turn it loose. You don't put the seed in the barn and leave it. I heard a preacher say this one time, and, and I don't even know what kind of vehicle he drove. He was from Louisiana, and he pastored a large church, and he said somebody criticized him for whatever kind of vehicle he drove. He didn't even tell us what kind of vehicle he drove. But his response was this. He said, don't judge my harvest till you've seen my seed. I'm going to say that again. If this person plants a hundred rows of corn and I plant five, who's going to get more corn? Right? You may look at people and get frustrated and even envious of somebody, but you don't know what they're sowing. I can tell you doing this for 30-some years, I've had some people in the church and some even now that go behind the scenes and, and, and do all kinds of things that, that people will never know. And they keep getting blessed and blessed and blessed because they're a sower. They, they don't damn things up. They just let it, let it go, let it sow. You don't, we don't do that. You're not going to have a harvest if you don't sow a seed. Can you say amen? So he, he gives his lunch up. Now I want to skip over to verse 22 because Jesus, on the heels of this, gives us a little teaching about himself. It says, On the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the, that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but the disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they had ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, uh, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now think about that for a minute. Our service to Christ is about relational. It's not about because we get things, right? He does bless us, but that's not what our relationships build on. Now notice what he says, though. This is what I want to show you. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Now think about this just for a minute. Then what do you labor the most for? Does your spiritual life, is it important to you? Are you putting an investment in your spiritual life? When we do marriage retreats and things like that, I tell people the number one place for you to invest in your marriage is your spouse. Because we invest in your spouse, either one, the husband and the wife, the wife and the husband, because there will be times in your life, and we could all hit one. You know what? I heard somebody say just the other day about a depression. That what we're in could lead us further than a recession. You cannot be $32 trillion in debt and be good, be happy about that. This country's in trouble. $32 trillion worth of debt. That's going to come home sooner or later. 
And so what happens in situations like we've read about in history, or maybe people, you got each other. You got God, of course, first, and each other. What are you investing in? This world, we know this world is going to wind up on its head. We know that. We know it's going to come to an end. So what should you really be investing in? You should be first investing in the Lord in your spiritual life, in spiritual things. Then let these other things come into your life as God brings them. It's okay to be blessed. It's okay to enjoy life. But do not do it at the expense of your spiritual life. And we got to guard against that because the devil will constantly throw fears into our life that get us looking the wrong direction, trusting in the wrong thing, looking for the help and the hope in other things other than Christ. He's the place that you can invest and it will never go away. We invest where malls and thieves cannot enter in. Jesus Christ took this little boy's lunch and fed over 20,000 people most likely because he was willing to turn it loose. We don't know if he heard something in the message. We don't know if they just asked him to consider it. We don't have all of that. We don't know how he's thinking, but he... Let it go. Now let me take this one more place before I quit. You have to let things go if you want to be multiplied in them. But there are, uh, there's another side to that. You're going to have to let other stuff go. You have to let unforgiveness go. Anything you hang on to is not going to work out in the end. Disappointment, discouragement. Somebody's done you wrong. Some of this, some of that. You have to let all that stuff go. You got to let it go. You need to get under the word, get faith in you. You need to let those things go, and then you got to move on. You got to move on. And the only way to move on is to stay. Here's, here's what people who can't move on think about the rest of the people who have. They think you ain't never been where they've been, and that's a lie. Every one of us had to have had to be overcomers in something. And some people have taken God at His word, kept looking to Him, making Him the primary source in their life, and they've been able to follow the things that He's asked them to do and move on. It doesn't mean that their situation wasn't as bad as yours. It could have been worse. But they took God at His word and and brought it into their bosom and received it and moved on. Just because you won't move on don't mean others haven't had it just as hard as you have. Some of them have learned to receive God's Word, receive His Holy Spirit, let that intersect in their life so that they're not looking to the wrong things. Put those things, Paul said, putting those things behind us, we press on. We keep moving. And nobody, no one had any more to put behind them than Paul. If we could go back to Paul's time, now close here. Paul would be looking at a congregation like this and he would see people in there most likely that he had one of their family members killed before he came to Christ. Now think about a challenge. I face challenges. The devil shows up usually about every week trying to beat me back, not get, get me to back off or whatever from sharing God's word. But the apostle Paul had to stand in front of people that he most likely had some of those folks' family members killed and then tell them how good God is. That would have been a challenge, wouldn't it? And he's the very one that God used to pin that down. Forgetting those things that are behind, I press on. I press on. And if anybody could have been beat down with that, 
What about Peter? Peter denied he even knew Jesus three times, exactly what Jesus said. And then on the day of Pentecost, he was the guy used just 50 plus days after all this took place. He's the guy, he's the headliner. Now, he wouldn't have been the headliner in America. We said, oh, no, we're not using Peter. Didn't he just deny Jesus about uh, uh, seven weeks ago? Nah, we find us another preacher. But that wasn't the Holy Spirit's plan, was it? What do you think about Peter? Standing up in front of the known world at the time. Having just denied Jesus, act like he didn't even know him. Having put all that behind him to proclaim who God was. Every one of you got stuff you need to put behind you. You got to let it go. Let it go. Quit packing it because it'll weigh you down. Let's stand to our feet. bow our heads for a moment here. Lord, those of you that are watching, join us in prayer this morning. Maybe you're here today, you're, you're watching, going to hear this podcast, whatever, and you've got something you need to let go of. You need to trust God with it. Whether it's something positive or even something negative or sinful, you need to turn it loose and let God have it. Lord, we just thank you this morning that we have such wonderful examples like this young lad, somebody who was willing to turn loose of what they had and you took it and multiplied. Lord, we've got all kinds of examples all through the Word of people bringing things and laying them down at your feet and, and trusting you, Lord. We want to be like Abraham, Lord. We want to be able to trust you with everything in our lives. We don't want to be deceived we don't want to be led astray. We don't want to be taken down the wrong path. We don't want to be any of that deception that, sin, that Satan brings. We don't want to fall into that. We pray, God, for you to give us wisdom. Help us to take your word and let it saturate our minds, our hearts, so that we won't be prone to deception. That we can overcome the wicked one when he shows up in our court. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice this morning that's not ready to meet Jesus, we offer an invitation to you this morning to come up to this altar and pray to ask Jesus to come into your heart. Maybe you're watching by, by this live stream today. You're asking, it's time for you to ask Jesus to come into your heart, to forgive you of your sins, to be a new creature, to start a new life today. Maybe you're here and you're a prodigal. Maybe you've been wandering around, out of the path, doing your own thing. The devil tricked you into thinking he had something better. And you found out that wasn't true. Maybe you're the prodigal. Maybe you need to come home this morning. Whatever your need is. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe physical sickness, whatever. We know God is a healer. Whatever your need is, you have a God that is willing to meet it. Step out this morning by faith. As we spend a little time worshiping Him, this altar is open. Don't be afraid to come to this altar. We've all used this altar. We continue to use this altar. Today's your day as you hear His voice.